You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a J.C. softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, J.C. softball team. As long as, you know... Uh, it's 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 not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, the the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know that crap like that. You know all this stuff that's contaminated America, where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring little league anymore. Now that's also it's second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. Yeah. Hey, hey, I don't like getting. It's the only time we're ever getting excited about second. From now on, it's first. Okay. Yeah. Winning the SEC. Probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? Turn that damn you box! Hey buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm flying solo once again, Cousin Shane still on a birthday bender if I had to guess. But don't worry, hey, I've got a tremendous guest lined up. First time, had him on the program, Matt Zinitz, formerly of uh, AL.com. Now he's with On3Sports. And if you're not following on three already, that's going to be a name to know this fall. That's the new football outlet uh, headed by Shannon Terry, who, of course, founded 24-7 Sports. And he was the head of Rivals for years and years. So hey, we'll get all into that with uh, Matt here in a minute. I think you guys are really going to appreciate a lot of the insight he brings to the program. But before we get into that, it's actually a good thing Shane's not here because he hates Oh, man, does he hate to get tagged on these arguments. We're going to start one here in a little bit because I got quarterback rankings going into SEC Media Day. Something to argue about. 13 of the 14 fan bases are going to disagree with these rankings, but, hey, it's all in good fun. And I'm ready to talk some SEC football heading into SEC Media Days here. But before we get to that, a couple of quick items here. Speaking of quarterback rankings... Ed Orgeron was recently a guest on uh, Sports Talk on WWL in Louisiana talking the quarterback competition. And I don't know, he may have let the cat out of the bag a little bit here. He's asked about, you know, how things are progressing going into the season. Let's uh, jump over to Coach O and then we'll discuss it on the other side. Now, uh, you know, Coach O, obviously fans asked me, I said, I don't know, uh, let him compete and see who's going to win the job. They go, who's going to be our quarterback? And I say, uh, I think that Coach O's taking the approach that the big eye in the sky don't lie. You evaluate each practice, whether it's in the spring or the fall. And I would think uh, the proximity, uh, when it's going to come out, you're playing in the Rose Bowl in UCLA, I would say you probably want it in the middle of August to maybe name a starter, whether it would be uh, Miles Brennan or uh, Max Johnson. Yeah, but you know we all we're in the locker room. We know who the best player is. <laughs> there ain't no question. Everybody knows it's gonna it's gonna work itself out. I'm gonna let them play, and the competition is gonna be fierce. It's fierce every day. I told them everything that you do, and you know both both those guys are along with Garrett are having some great summers. Uh, I think it's gonna work itself out. I think it's gonna be obvious, and uh, obviously you know game week going into UCLA, we're gonna name our starter. But if we can do it before we can, it all, it, it's, it's all, it's all going to be a field thing. You know, Coach O, <laughs> not trying to make fun of the guy, but sometimes he's hard to understand. But, you know, it certainly sounded like what he said there was they know who the quarterback is. And I think what he's saying there is, you know, it's not like they're trying to keep it a secret or anything, but I think the team has already bought into one guy. Now, the big question is, who is that? I think it's Max Johnson. Led him to big wins last year against Florida and against Ole Miss. Now, Miles Brennan, he had a hell of a three-game stretch there before he went down. 
But sometimes you got to go with not only the hot hand, but the, the guy the locker room has bought in on. And, you know, based on everything I'm hearing, that guy is Max Johnson. So I'm not saying that uh, this is going to be a quarterback competition that's already decided. I think Coach O will certainly, as he indicated there, you know, they'll let it go into camp and see how it plays out. But at this point, I would be a little bit surprised if it's Miles Brennan. You talk to people like SEC Stat Cat Clark Brooks, notes that uh, Miles Brennan, arguably the most accurate passer in the SEC. So let's not totally rule him out. He's got talent. He's got the arm. I feel bad that he waited for years and years and years, and he finally got his opportunity. He came in and he was outstanding, but not his fault he got hurt. But hey, the quarterback, the only obviously only one can play. And, you know, that's going to be fascinating to see. And I think a lot of people are going to be surprised where I got Max Johnson in my rankings. But before we get to that, one other note, I just thought this was great. I keep trying to tell people, Eli Drinkowitz, I think he's going to be the star of the SEC media days. People don't give him enough credit for the sound bites that he delivers. I think he's saving up some really good ones for SEC media days. Remember, this will be his first. All the uh, second-year coaches in the SEC didn't get to go last year, so first time for Leach, first time for Sam Pittman. Lane Kiffin's been down there once before as Tennessee's head coach, but it'll be the first time as the old Miss coach. So, hey, we're going to have tons of quotes coming up, but during a recent uh, episode of the Paul Feinbaum show, Eli Drinkowitz dropped a... (laughs) Uh, drop some comments here on being on these Zoom calls with these SEC coaches. I thought it was great. To the other coaches in this league, you knew Gus. You have a history with him. Some of these other names and faces are new to you, and you see how they interact on the Zooms as you guys talk head coaching business or conference business with Greg Sankey. Did any of those personalities surprise you? Um, You know, I got one opportunity to meet the group in person, and then – uh, you know, getting to, to see him around the table and, 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 and then see it in Zoom, it's pretty interesting. You know, uh, there's still guys that, that don't turn their cameras on during the Zoom meetings, and that kind of surprises me a little bit. I'm sitting there going, you know, I don't think if you were the head coach and having a team meeting, you'd be okay with your players didn't have the, the, the Zoom camera on. And I'm not going to drop anybody's names there, but uh, but it, that that surprised me a little bit. Um, I will say this, just like we all know, when Coach Saban speaks, we all listen. Uh, so when, when he when he, you know, puts in his opinion or, or has a comment, we all sit there and say, "All right, let's let's hear what what he has to say." And and um, you know, obviously, we, we give him a tremendous amount of respect. So there you have it. I mean, just like the rest of us, when Nick Saban says something, these SEC coaches they sit up and they are, they pay attention because they know that guy is. I think, without a doubt, the greatest college coach of all time. And, you know, it's valuable. <laughs> the wisdom he's got to share is incredibly valuable. So I just thought it was pretty interesting. Drinkowitz noted that. And I think by the fact he uh, gave Saban a shout-out, Saban's not the guy that's leaving his camera off. Of course, I'm sure there's an uh, army of assistants setting that up to where <laughs> he doesn't have to fiddle with it. But I think that's just a small sampling of what we're going to get next week in Hoover when uh, the Missouri contingent lands in Alabama but all right let's just jump right into it man this is my SEC quarterback rankings for 2021 and I try to do this every year people lose their minds they don't understand what I'm saying here this is not necessarily a ranking of where these guys are today I try to do this as projecting out how these guys will perform in the upcoming season so when December rolls around This is the order I think these quarterbacks are going to be in. So just to make that clear, not necessarily where I'd put these guys right now as of today, but by the end of the season. So let's just dive into it. All right, so I'm going to start with the guy I've got last on the list. So don't be confused. I'm not saying this is going to be the SEC's best quarterback. We've been singing the praises of Kentucky all offseason. Cover your ears, Big Blue Nation. I got Joey Gatewood, number 14. In the SEC, a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, just not seeing this offense. I have no idea what it's, how effective it's going to be in the SEC. Maybe it's awesome. You know, talking to Nick, Nick Roush, if you missed it, we just talked to him. They're going to lean heavily on the ground game, just added another offensive lineman. Yes, I know they got Wondell Robinson. They got Josh Ali, two really good receivers there, but I just don't know what they got beyond that. So 
for me right now, Joey Gatewood, probably going to be number 14 in the SEC. And, you know, looking at this list, there's going to be some, some surprises on it. But I think this is a lot better collection of quarterbacks than we've had in recent seasons because I think in most seasons we'd be able to knock a guy like Joey Gatewood up several notches. But I just don't see any slouches on this list. And next up, number 13, Luke Doty, South Carolina. He certainly had some flashes last season. I don't think it was fair to him to kind of get pushed into the lineup there late in the season after, if you recall, he started the season as a receiver. But they had to make a change. Colin Hill wasn't getting it done. Helinski wasn't getting it done. They needed a spark, and he was able to provide it. A little bit of one there against, I believe it was Missouri, second to the last game of the year. But it seemed like they kind of figured him out. And then the last game of the season was just a nightmarish performance. Again, I don't put that on him. The coach had already been fired. It was in a lame duck. Mike Bobo was there as the interim coach. Now we got a new offensive system. But Cylinder Joey Gatewood, I don't know how much we can trust Luke Doty's arm. And I don't know if he's got the weapons around him to consistently showcase that in the SEC. Maybe in the non-conference, he, he could really have a field day in this Marcus Satterfield offense, potentially. But right now, I got Luke Doty as a big question mark there in Columbia. And I think that's the only fair ranking. But he's got real potential to move up this list should this South Carolina offense click and should some of these receivers emerge for the Gamecocks this year. Now right here, this is probably going to be a stunner. Most people got this guy in the top four, but I'm not quite seeing it yet. Number 12 on the list, Connor Basilak, Missouri. M-I-Z! He's got a lot of room to improve. I know he's incredibly accurate, but when you got your coach out here saying, you know, we didn't really trust him in the red zone, and, and Drinkowitz puts that on himself, and maybe that's just part of being a young quarterback in the SEC, playing an all-SEC slate. But he's such a young guy. He's got three years left to play. You know, he'll make strides. But, again, this is what I'm talking about with these uh, SEC quarterbacks. Man, it's tough to put a guy like Connor Basilak so low on this list. But this is honestly where I think he'll be. I mean, I don't think he's one of the SEC's best quarterbacks. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. They are adding, you know, they've added some receivers there in Missouri. Eli Drinkwitz known as uh, obviously an offensive mind, but it seems like he's actually produced more running backs than he has quarterbacks. So Basilak will certainly take a step forward. He's got to if Missouri is legitimately going to challenge there in the SEC East like a lot of their fans do. But until further notice, I need to see something more than torching LSU's terrible defense last year. That was kind of the standout performance in my mind when I think of Connor Basilak. All right, number 11 on my list, Vanderbilt's Ken Seals. Now, again, I think this showcases the depth of uh, the SEC this year at the quarterback position because, you know, he's got some weapons to work with, but not a lot there in Nashville. Clearly a rebuild there, but I think they're going to be able to build around Ken Seals. Take it down. They've got a transfer running back from Temple that's eligible now, so that'll take some of the pressure off Ken Seals, but – I think uh, even he's got room to grow. And, of course, we're talking in a new offense with depth issues. So, you know, maybe if uh, we weren't dealing with those issues there in Vanderbilt, I think Ken Seals would have a better season. But, again, kind of like basically all the guys we've listed so far, not a ton of reps. I know Ken Seals started all last year, but only one season, and it was a COVID season, and there was no spring. And, I mean, it's just very hard to judge a lot of these guys in the system they were in last year. So there's potential for all these guys to make huge strides and jump up this list this year. Number 10 on my list, Bo Nix. War damn eagle. That's probably going to be the most controversial one. A lot of people probably have Bo last, but he's just such a tough one to evaluate because he's a monster when he runs. He's incredibly tough to tackle. Go back and watch that Texas A&M game. You know, he has a superhuman type touchdown. And then he also has a wide open guy for a touchdown and he overthrows it by 10 yards. I mean, that's what you're getting with Bo Nix. At least that's what we got last year. We saw quite a bit of that his freshman year, which I think is to be expected for a true freshman in the SEC. But how far can he progress with Mike Bobo coaching him, with Brian Harson coaching him? I think they'll get the best out of Bo Nix. 
But again, he is not going to have a ton of weapons. I know they just got Demetrius Robertson, but you know he's not necessarily a game-breaker, even though he does have elite speed. And Auburn does have a lot of talent at that receiver position, but most of it's inexperienced. So he'll have Tank Bigsby to rely on. I think they'll be heavy on the run game there at Auburn, heavy in the play-action game, and the you know rolling Bo Nix out. I think that'll help him have his best year to date as an Auburn Tiger. All right, number nine on the list. Honestly, probably could have put a couple of names here. This was a difficult one. But I'm saying Harrison Bailey. And I got no idea if he's even going to be the starting quarterback. The fact that uh, I thought it was going to be Hendon Hooker. And it still may. Uh, But then they bring in Joe Milton. So what does that say about what they think of Hendon Hooker and Harrison Bailey? Not much confidence there. It certainly seems like from Josh Heupel in what he had to work with in the spring. Now those guys could certainly take strides in the summer and, and in training camp. But this is more of a grade of Harrison Bailey's talent that I know he has throwing the football and combining that with Josh Heupel's track record of developing quarterbacks and getting the most out of them. So I think even even if it is Harrison Bailey and he, and he has his ups and downs like he had last season, I think he'll be far more productive than we saw in the Jim Chaney offense with uh, Josh Heupel calling the shots. And I think at the end of the day, they may go with the guy that's more talented. And, you know, let's not forget this guy was a high school All-American, won a not only the Georgia State Championship, but they won, you know, they have like a weird national championship now. And I had no idea they were even doing that. But uh, (laughs) Harrison Bailey led his team to that. So he's a very talented player. I think he's a leader that uh, the team will rally around here, and I think he's going to put up big numbers this year for the Vols. All right, number eight on the list. I think this guy's going to have be one of the most improved players in the entire SEC. I'm going Will Rogers, Mississippi State. Second year in the Mike Leach system. Got forced into action. Remember, it was K.J. Costello lighting the world on fire, and then he got hurt, got dinged up. Uh, Rodgers was dealing with some stuff early in the season, and same deals. A lot of these guys, no training camp, no spring camp, obviously, when he got into campus. So Will Rogers, I think, is the perfect quarterback for the Mike Leach system. It's just last year was such a disaster, particularly on the offensive line for Mississippi State. They never really got to showcase it. But they started to figure it out towards the tail end of the season. They had two young running backs that emerged. They had a number of receivers that really started to be playmakers for Mississippi State. And those guys are all back. So I think Will Rogers, combined with the weapons he's got around him, as long as the offensive line progresses there in Starkville, which is the key to the whole thing because they were god-awful last year, if they come together, I think Will Rogers is going to put up some video game numbers this year and be one of the most improved players in the SEC. All right, number seven on the list. This guy's tough to peg. Not a huge fan of, of him personally just based on what I've seen, but it's his it's his time to shine. Emory Jones, number seven. Dan Mullen's latest quarterback. This is kind of a vote of confidence more than anything on, on Dan Mullen. We know Emory Jones is an elite runner, and they've been praising his arm, but I've yet to really see that in action on the field consistently in the SEC. So had I seen that, maybe I put Emory Jones a little bit higher. But I think Florida's going to rely on the ground game. Certainly, I'm sitting here putting Emory Jones number seven, so he's not going to be a bad player. He's not going to be a liability by any means, I don't think. But I think uh, he's one that could slide down. But at the same time, if he you know makes that huge jump, if he's the the next great quarterback for Dan Mullen, hell, maybe he's near the top of this list. So that's kind of why I'm saying it's so hard for me to place him. I'm putting him right there in the middle. He's got the potential. He's got the talent. And he's got the team around him. You know, one thing that could potentially hurt him is the fact that uh, Florida's lost so many great receivers this offseason. But they're going to have a ton of running backs. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be more ground and pound there in Gainesville this season. All right, number six. This is a complete wild card. I'm putting my faith in Jimbo Fisher to develop Hayes King, number six on the list. I think he's going to have a big year. And he is just surrounded by talent. Again, kind of similar to, to Will Rogers. They need the offensive line to come together with four new starters. Of course, uh, the one returning starter they got is 
potentially an All-American in green. So they've got nice pieces to build around. And the offensive linemen that they got coming up, it's not like these guys are, you know, four one-stars or anything. I mean, a lot of these guys are elite prospects. Some of them got – they have some good experience. So if the offensive line gels and Hayes King is as good as I think he can be, Texas A&M is going to be one hell of a team next year. May contend once again for a college playoff berth. I think Aggie fans in Hayes King's first year as a starting quarterback, I think they take him being the SEC's number six quarterback in the SEC. All right, the top five here. Number five, Bryce Young, Alabama. Roll Tide! It's hard to ignore all the hype and all the talent he's going to have around him. He looked outstanding in the spring game. Of course, Alabama was without uh, you know some of their star pass rushers in that game. And I honestly, I don't think, from what we've seen so far for Bryce Young, you know, it's not fair to say he hasn't lived up to the hype because he's never really gotten the opportunity. But as I watched him, I've not said, wow, this, I mean, this is the next great Alabama quarterback. But I said the same damn thing about Max Jones. <laughs> and uh, look what happened there. So Bryce Young, he's got all the talent in the world. We know that. He's going to be surrounded by a ridiculous amount of talent. New offensive system, new offensive line coach, new o- you know, three starters on the offensive line, new receivers across the board outside of John Mitchie, who was outstanding last year. So he's already got his go-to receiver. They got a very talented and deep running back core. Alabama's offense will be good. I just don't think they'll be world beaters. That's uh, part of the reason why I got Bryce Young, number five. All right, number four, I've been singing this guy's praises all offseason. K.J. Jefferson. Woo pig! I think the Razorback fans would... Be thrilled if uh, K.J. is that good of a quarterback this season in the SEC. And, you know, based on what we've seen, I think he lives up to the hype. I mean, he this guy, from the first time he's taken the field for Arkansas, the game wasn't too big for him. Uh, that performance last year against Missouri was outstanding. I know they didn't get the win, but that was more on the defense than anything. Wasn't able to get that stop against Missouri. I think K.J. Jefferson is a – you know, maybe even a little bit more of a fit for that Kendall Brown system than Felipe Franks was. He can run, he can pass, he can do it all. He's got the deep ball. I think Arkansas is poised to be one of the most improved offenses in the entire SEC, going to be led by my man K.J. Jefferson. All right, top three. Now we're getting into, you know, potential All-Americans here. Number three, J.T. Daniels, Georgia. Poised for a huge season, coming back to Athens, entering the season as a starting quarterback in Athens. Should be huge after spring in training camp. And I know George Pickens went down, but, you know, those that know the Georgia roster, no, they've, I mean, they're absolutely loaded at the receiver position. So it hurts to lose your number one, but hell, they got about five, six, seven quality targets. And, and hell, don't forget they've got, they added Eric Gilbert and Darnell Washington. That's going to be – I know they're saying Gilbert's going to be a receiver, So, but if they put those guys out on the same on the field at the same time at the tight end position, I don't know how in the hell anyone's going to stop that. So I think JT Daniels will also put up some ridiculous numbers. I think the only thing that could potentially hold him back is that defense and, and Kirby Smart, you know, they, they, wanna, they may want to play it a little conservative at times, not run their defense ragged because they're looking at trying to win the SEC, trying to win the national championship – and I just don't think these Saban assistants have it in them to let loose the offense full throttle. They'll go, they'll go, you know, high gear here, but I don't know if they'll go full throttle. Otherwise, maybe I'd have JT Daniels in the top two. All right, this may be the biggest stunner here. Kind of teased it with those Coach O comments. Max Johnson, LSU, number two. This is uh, kind of the biggest leap of faith I'm taking on this list, but I just think that with all the pieces LSU's got returning, their offense is set to explode. Uh, we'll get to our interview here with Matt Zinitz here in just a minute, but, hell, he's saying if Josh McDaniels would have taken the Colts' job, head coaching job, they were going to name Jake Peets offensive coordinator. So, you know, we got a quality offensive coordinator here. We're running the Joe Brady system, and it's not only Peets, but it, they're bringing back DJ Mangus, the passing game coordinator. They brought back uh, Jorge Munez, who – it was an annual analyst under Joe Brady, who Joe Burrow's out there when he was winning his Heisman. He's credited Munoz for helping him all season. This is the type of thing Max Johnson's got in his corner this year with all the weapons they got. 
I think Max Johnson is going to put up some insane numbers. He's got huge breakout potential, in my opinion. And then, of course, number one, the only guy I've not mentioned here, Matt Corral, Ole Miss. He's going to be ridiculous this year. You know, I was a little worried. Elijah Moore off to the NFL. He was so damn good last year. And then here they go and add Jalen Knox. And that's not to necessarily compare Jalen Knox to Elijah Moore, but he fits that role there in Oxford that they'll be missing. And essentially everyone else is back. So uh, I think in year two, under Jeff Levy, under Lane Kiffin, going into this system, Matt Corral be more comfortable. And my God, if I if I got to face Ole Miss this year, I'm scared to death if I'm an SEC defensive coordinator because they are just going to absolutely light up the scoreboard. Matt Corral is going to be the SEC's best quarterback. Now that I put my SEC quarterback rankings out there, I'm sure we'll have no disagreements on the social media. We'll put that graphic out, and I'll make sure to tag Shane on it just so that uh, you guys know that he's still kicking out there. But that's enough of me uh, spieling on here. Let's kick it over to our interview with Matt Zinich of On3 Sports. Well, we're pleased now to be joined by Matt Zinich, the senior national college football reporter for On3 Sports. And you got to give him a follow if you're not already at mzinich on the Twitters. Matt, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you. And it's no problem at all. I appreciate you having me. You know, it's kind of a running joke between uh, us and the media landscape, but, uh, man, you are all over just any and all transfer portal news. It seems like whenever there's, whether it's the SEC or just all around college football, you are one of the main ones breaking that news. So it's kind of interesting that you kind of jumped into the portal yourself there with On3 Sports <laughs> and teaming up with Shannon yeah. Terry. Can, can you give us some insight on – what exactly are you going to be doing this year with On3 Sports and, and your decision to, to make that jump? Yeah, so I I'd spent the last six years at AO.com. Uh, it was a great situation there. Uh, some of my closest friends in this world have worked with me at AO.com, and it, it was a situation where it was just kind of a, the mindset that it would take something really significant for me to seriously entertain leaving, and that's how I view On3. So Shannon... I obviously has the, the track record that he does in this industry and has established himself as essentially a King Midas type figure where it seems like everything that Shannon touches uh, turns, turns to gold and just really excited about the, the plan that he has in place for uh, on three. And for, for me, um, obviously have focused a lot on the SEC throughout my time at AO.com and we'll continue to focus a lot on the SEC moving forward. But at the same time, it'll give me the flexibility to branch out and cover some more even outside of that, even though I, a lot of focus for me will still be paid on what's going on within the Southeastern Conference. Now, are you guys going to be doing any podcasts over there or is that kind of TBD at, at this point? Uh, TBD, you took the words out of out of my mouth. So it's come up a, a little bit in conversations to this point, but I've not heard anything definitive as of yet. If I had to guess, I would think there will be things from that perspective, but I have not heard anything definitive as of yet. I, I just know that the, the focus for, for Shannon, I, other people from leadership perspective, is just helping to put us in a position where can can lead the way in terms of just interesting coverage from a college football standpoint, college basketball standpoint, re- recruiting, just things around the, the college football, college basketball, overall college sports world. And do we have a launch date for that site? I know it's in August, but uh, August. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I believe the the site goes live August 1st, I believe. Okay. Well, definitely we'll have an eye out on that, but uh, you know, speaking of the transfer portal, I figured you'd be the perfect guy to ask, you know, just maybe just in your opinion or from talking to to coaches like I know you do. Are there any transfer portal players that uh, stand out to you that are most impactful? And I'm specifically thinking of guys that have transferred into the SEC or or may have already been in the SEC and now at a new SEC school. Mm -hmm. It's a good question. You're putting me on the spot with that one. So let let me think. In terms of guys transferring into the the conference, so I obviously Alabama landing Henry Toa Toa is a a huge get for for them. 
But one of the, the interesting ones outside of just some of the, the big name, household name guys, is someone like Jordan Strachan at, at South Carolina. So um, had a lot of success at the group of five level and went into the portal earlier this year seeking to get to a bigger program. And in him, South Carolina adds a guy who, I mean, from NFL perspective, and for me a little bit recently, been, been doing just uh, some digging from a NFL standpoint, getting a feel for just the, the preseason grades for guys, how, how they're viewed in terms of um, – in the, the NFL scouting world and just trying to get a feel for who should be on the radar. And he's somebody who has come up as uh, a, a guy who has a legitimate shot to be a top three round player and give South Carolina someone who they're, they're expecting to be really impactful from a, a pass rushing standpoint, just an overall, overall an impact player for them in the front seven. So that's somebody who definitely comes to mind. And then, Missouri adds a couple of very good corners who were actually teammates at Tulsa and two guys who also were very much on the radar from an NFL standpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they needed those guys pretty badly, so I, it's hard to not see them making an impact right away. Now, yeah. at this time last year, you wrote a really interesting article uh, for your previous employer. It was called uh, Anonymous Coach Survey, and you listed yeah. some of the uh, rising stars in, in the assistant world in the SEC and one of the guys you mentioned, Charles Huff, has since been hired. He's, he's the new coach at Marshall, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, Brian Johnson was another one you listed. He's now working in the NFL. Are there any names that uh, stand out to you kind of in a similar, similar role this year that uh, current assistants that are really on the rise in the SEC? So that's a great question. It's funny that you bring that up because – I actually started the process yesterday of putting putting together something similar for one of my first projects with on three. So going through the process right now of doing so, some digging on that, where that, that project last year, I talked to different people in the coaching world, combination of head coaches, coordinators, people from an administrative perspective to, to get their feedback since that, their feedback carries a lot more weight than, than mine does just on guys that would, Warren or were deserving of just being mentioned in that kind of category. So that's something that I'll probably have a better feel on come a week from now compared to today. Um, but that that's definitely one of the, the first things that will be a project of mine for one three that looking to have ready to go for when we do launch in August. I know that's not necessarily the answer that you were looking for, but I, I should have a better feel on some of those names that should be on the radar for, for everyone for this year come next week compared to just where I am on that today. But, but actually I'll give you, I, I'll give you a couple. So, um, I mean, wait, one of the guys who was mentioned in there last year was John Sumrall mm -hmm. from Kentucky. So he, he's someone who even just in conversations the last couple of days is very highly thought of in the coaching world and will, will be on the radar probably for not only so, some big time DC jobs in the near future, but I mean, he's been in the mix for some head coaching jobs during, during the course of the, the last couple of cycles. And somebody who I, I don't know how much of a household name he is at, at this point in terms of casual fans, but, but somebody who will, I, I think, just based on the feedback I continue to get on him, be, become even more of a big name in the coaching world, even more so than he is right now. Just got a promotion to Kentucky, bumped up to, to co-DC there underneath another guy, Brad White, who... I, I'm not sure how much of a household name he is at this point, but somebody who has already been on the radar for so, some big jobs during the course of the last couple of years, including this past cycle, and just part of a, a staff with those two guys at Kentucky that in the coaching world is viewed as just a, a very, very respected staff that they have there underneath Mark Stoops. Yeah, so you may have just already answered that, but I was going to ask you next, uh, are there any SEC coordinators that you see that – if they have a bit, you know, their units have a big year uh, on the field this year that uh, could be jumping to that head coaching role and maybe Brad White among them, but uh, any others jump out to your mind? Yeah, there, this would be a couple. Um, Brad White has an interesting background where he worked in the, the NFL for a little while. Wouldn't surprise me whatsoever if he was ultimately a guy that got, got a chance at the, the next level to go back there, but could also see him being somebody on the radar for not only some big or, or bigger 
D.C. jobs, but also maybe getting a chance as a head coach. Some role would fall in that category also. I'm trying to to think around the conference while avoiding just obvious guys. I mean, Pete Golding's one where if Billy Napier had, had left Louisiana to take one of the jobs that he was in the mix for, um, people in the coaching world thought that Pete Golding would be uh, – maybe one of the favorites there to replace him at Louisiana. So I think especially with just the, the expectations that people internally have at Alabama for the defense this year, that Pete Golding will probably continue to be talked about as a, a head coaching candidate. I, I would think that this coming cycle, as long as they have the kind of year that people at Alabama think that they're going to have, that he'll be in line to potentially get a shot. Mike Elko at A&M's uh, another one was one of the, the finalists was in the, the final group of four for the Kansas head coaching job before ultimately deciding to, to stay at A&M. Um, he, he's another one, especially with just the, the talent that they have defensively at A&M this year that probably continued to emerge even more and be talked about as uh, somebody deserving of being on the radar for head coaching opportunities. Now, I really wanted to ask you this. Maybe I'm off base, but it certainly seems like a lot of assistant coaches eager to jump to the NFL. We've seen a couple this offseason mm-hmm. get hired in the SEC, and then a couple weeks, a couple months later, they get NFL opportunities. They leave you know, a, a job they just got. So uh, is just working in the NFL a lot more attractive, would you say, to most assistant coaches, or, yeah. or am I off base there? So there's a natural appeal that comes along with just working at the NFL level. I mean, it's the, the highest level of of football, obviously. And I I think it's pretty understandable just the appeal that, that comes along with that and coaching at the, the highest level possible to go along with that. If you talk to guys who have background coaching, both at the, the college level and the NFL level, one of the things that will consistently come up that they like a lot about working in the NFL is just the elimination of having to deal with things from a recruiting standpoint. And you you can just focus on straight ball, straight football more at that level compared to what you're able to do in college where you essentially have a second job in terms of having to deal with recruiting. Mm-hmm. And I, obviously you're going to be very busy coaching at that level also, but there, there's a little bit more time to have a life outside of football compared to what you can have in college because of the responsibilities that come along with recruiting. So the combination of those two things, just having a little bit more downtime, time to be able to spend with your family and things like that um, to go along with just eliminating recruiting and the responsibilities that come along with that and just being able to focus just solely on, on ball that those are a couple of things that, that come up in terms of the appeal when it comes to NFL jobs compared to college. But at the same time, uh, I think regardless of which field you're in, money obviously a very important thing. And I think you'd be surprised just um, some of the the money figures uh, and how they compare in terms of college jobs compared to NFL. And guys, uh, if you're able to get to a premier place in college, you can make more money than which you which you can make at the the, the college level, which makes it worthwhile um, for for a lot of coaches out there in terms of dealing with some of those additional responsibilities that you have to deal with in college. What was your reaction when you heard Ed Orgeron admit that uh, some of the assistants he hired last year that I guess he never really interviewed them face to face and. And do you think he kind of got it right this time with uh, Duranta Jones and, and Jake Peets as his coordinators? Yeah. So, so Jake Peets is a, a highly thought of guy, obviously has a, a background, both college and, and NFL, uh, has history working at Alabama a couple different times. And somebody who obviously got an endorsement from somebody who whose opinion carries weight in LSU building in terms of, of Joe Brady. Um but just to go back a little bit further for him, if Josh McDaniels had taken, I want to say it was the Colts job a couple of years ago, Josh thought highly enough of Jake Peets at that point that Jake would have been his offensive coordinator then. So he is not an unknown by any means in the coaching world and somebody who has established a good reputation for himself. Durante Jones, 
I, obviously, it was a an interesting process with LSU finding their, their DC and hey, had missed on some guys that they were targeting for that spot, including Marcus Freeman, who ultimately chose Notre Dame over LSU. But with, with Durante, they, they feel like they got um, somebody who's going to help them take a step forward defensively. Unfortunately for for him, um, I mean, regardless of how great you are in terms of defensive mind or as a defense coordinator, it's always very important, obviously, to, to have talent to work with. And that's something that LSU will definitely have defensively this year, which will help him as a first-time D.C. What are your thoughts on Bill O'Brien working at Alabama? Do you think that will be a seamless transition from some Steve Sarkeesian? Because it, it certainly seems like they they are not very similar in my mind. <laughs> So there were some growing pains during the spring, which, I mean, is to be expected to a certain degree when not only are you changing offensive coordinators, but you're replacing, wait, what was it, three of the top five finishers in terms of the Heisman Trophy running, including the Heisman winner himself. I would say just factoring all of that in is to be expected a little bit that there would be some growing pains. But that's another one where I mentioned with Durante Jones. Fortunately, he has a lot of talent to work with. I would say the same thing about Bill O'Brien. And the good thing for him, even though they lose some of the the, the key core pieces from last year's Alabama offense, they are far from devoid of talent. So Bryce Young showed some flashes during the course of the spring that just served as further confirmation of why he was as highly ranked as he was coming out of high school, that they have a deep group of running backs with Brian Robinson as an established guy that they're optimistic about to, to go along with, with some younger players, including uh, Jace McClellan, Roy Dell Williams, who have jo- both shown some flashes behind the scenes. And, and when they've gotten, wait, when they got some opportunities last year in reserve duty, um, and, and they're going to very much factor into that running back competition also, but a, a deep group that they feel good about. And then, hey, as some other guys like John Mechie, uh, Evan Neal then uh, along the, the offensive line, guys that will be among the, the next crop for them in terms of probably early round NFL players. Do you think Texas A&M has the talent to win the SEC? Now, again, I'm not I'm not asking you, you know, if you're picking them, but do you think they've got the pieces in place and I guess the coaching to go with it to to have the team that can make that type of run? Texas A&M is going to be one of the more interesting teams on a national level this year. The biggest question for them is just what they're going to get out of quarterback position. But if they can get good, consistent play out of that position, they're going to be very, very dangerous, not only in the SEC, but on a, a national level. So I mentioned the NFL stuff earlier and just doing some digging recently to get a feel for just what the perception is of, of guys uh, going into this year from an NFL draft standpoint, who should be on my radar and, and things like that. There are a lot of guys on A&M who are very much on the NFL radar for the 2022 NFL draft. They are loaded with talent. It's largely just going to come down to what they get out of the quarterback position. But outside of the quarterback position, they're pretty well-stocked, as I'm sure you know already. Which first-year head coach in the SEC do you think did the best job putting together a staff of course, we got new coaches at Auburn, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, and South Carolina. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think all of the, those guys, it seems like, feel good uh, about the staffs that they were able to put together. I, I know Shane Beamer uh, dealt with some complications while going through that process that, that were kind of unforeseen in terms of having to replace some guys or fill some spots that that wasn't expecting to ultimately have to uh, fill or um, make additional hires for. But all three programs right now, it seems like all three head coaches feel good about the the staffs that they have in in place. And I know from like Auburn perspective that um, Auburn was able to get some guys who very respected in the, the, the coaching world. So from a coordinator perspective, um, have Mike Bobo, Derek Mason, obviously uh, people in the, the SEC world are very much familiar with, and then has some rising star type figures like Zach Etheridge working with the DB group, who has been an important factor for them in, in terms of some of the guys that they've gotten from a recruiting standpoint, including transfer portal type guys. And it's just a, a nice mix for them in terms of 
guys that Brian Harson had pre-existing relationship with that he was comfortable with mixed in with coaches who have history with Auburn and also just with the SEC and specifically recruiting in the South. Um, so it, it was important going into the process for him to find that nice mixture, and I think he was ultimately able to accomplish that. All right, last question for you, Matt. So expectations sky high there in Athens. Uh, a lot of people talking, you know, SEC contenders, college football playoff contenders, but how much pressure is going to be on Kirby Smart if somehow he fails to win the SEC East because – uh, you know, I, I think Florida is a, is a dangerous team this year. So could you just imagine the backlash there in Athens if uh, if Georgia does not win the East? <laughs> well, the, the thing that I can say about Georgia is it's completely understandable why they are viewed how they are going into the year in terms of being the, the clear favorite to, to win the, the SEC East. So one more time, I'll bring up the, the NFL stuff. Georgia is going to be one, one of the teams in SEC that NFL scouts are going to be paying a, a lot of attention to. So with, with NFL scouting grades, they, there are two scouting services that NFL teams use, pay for. One is Blesto, the other one is National Football Scouting. With National Football Scouting, they, they only grade seniors. And if I remember correctly, with, with their grades, the, the senior that has the highest grade for them going into the year in, in terms of just the, the preseason grades is Adam Anderson at, at Georgia, who has a solid first-round grade from them. And it's not like that should be a huge surprise just considering what Adam's been able to do to this point at Georgia and just I think what people have seen from him from a talent pass rushing perspective. But he's far from the only guy who has a chance to be a top three-round player from Georgia. You have the Jordan Davises of the world who has a, a, a day-two type grade right now. You have Lewis Seen at safety who has a, a day-two grade from a, at least one of the, the scouting services um JT Daniels obviously has a chance to, to be one of the top quarterbacks in college football this year and um for him regardless of, of how great you are from a, a talent perspective at the quarterback position it's always nice to have talent around you and that's something that will definitely be the case for him even with George Pickens being out at this point George obviously had a couple running backs that would have been completely understandable if they had made the move to to turn pro and go to the next level out of after last year and both of those guys end up coming back to school and will help to give them, which is probably going to be one of the, the best, if not the best, running back rooms overall in the country this year with the combination of guys like Zamir White, James Cook, and then uh, the Kendall Miltons of the world to, to go along with that. Hey, Matt, I'm sorry. I know I said last question, but you just made me think of something. You, you're talking so much NFL. Uh, how much buzz is uh, Matt Corral there at Ole Miss getting in NFL circles? Is he – you know, I don't want to say he's a slam dunk number one pick or anything, but it certainly seems like uh, he's trending in that direction with another big season. So, like, like I said, with the two scouting services, only one great senior is he. He is not a senior in terms of eligibility at this point, and haven't gotten a ton of feedback overall on him as of yet. But obviously, flashed a lot throughout the course of la last year. Um, would have been understandable for him if he wanted to make the move to term pro after last year. But if he follows up what was a, a, a great productive overall season for him last year with the kind of year that I think they're expecting him to have, he'll be able to establish himself even more as one of the top quarterbacks in, in this year's class. But the, the top group of guys from a, a quarterback perspective heading into the year, uh, trying to think of the, the names that have come up most at this point. So some of them will be outside the, the SEC, but like the Sam Howells of the world have come up a good amount in terms of having a chance to be first-round type player. Desmond Ritter at Cincinnati, interesting one. Um, Carson Strong at Nevada has a chance to be one of the, the top quarterbacks for next year, someone who's not really talked about a lot at this point, but gotten some really good feedback on him from NFL perspective. And then one of the, the other interesting ones to, to go along with like the JT Daniels of the world and Brock Purdy's and guys like that is somebody who isn't currently playing in the SEC but has SEC ties and Malik Willis at, at Liberty. So Malik obviously started off at Auburn, transfers to Liberty, and had a hell of a year last year and has put himself in a position where he has a chance to, to be an early round type player heading into the 2022 NFL draft. 
but part of just a, a very interesting overall quarterback room for Hugh Freeze now at Liberty, where it's full of guys with SEC ties. So you have Malik Willis, one of the top quarterback prospects for next year's draft, mixed in now with a quarterback who I know you're very familiar with in, in Caden Salter, who obviously was unfortunate how things played out for him at, at Tennessee. But d- despite some off-field issues there that led to his dismissal, uh, a, a kid who obviously has some talent, and if they can keep things in check with him off the field, uh, they, they have a chance to be set up pretty well moving forward there at Liberty with the combination of, once again, those two guys with SEC ties. Yeah, the vast majority of Tennessee fans I know are convinced Salter is going to win that Heisman now. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Matt Zinitz, senior national college football reporter for On3 Sports. Give him a follow at mzinitz on Twitter. Matt, thank you so, so much for uh, all the information. I really appreciate it. No problem at all. I appreciate you having me. All right, I told you guys, Matt did not disappoint with all the knowledge he dropped on this episode. Really appreciate him hopping on the line. And you can find his Twitter handle in the show notes. Must follow. I mean, this guy's basically the Adam Schefter of the SEC, if not all of college football. I mean, that's probably his destiny one day. He's going to be the guy that replaces Adam Schefter because he's got so many connections. He's breaking so many stories in the SEC and college football. I cannot wait to see what they've got cooked up at On3 Sports this season, their debut season. They've hired the Ivan Mazel, one of my favorite college football writers, Chad Simmons, the uh, outstanding recruiting analyst, Nikki Chavanel, who covered Arkansas recruiting for a number of years. Now she's with them. Uh, they have just racked up all kinds of very talented people, and you got to have faith in Shannon Terry and what he's building over there. So, you know, check out every anything and everything that Matt puts out over at On3 Sports this fall. You know it's going to be some good stuff. That's all we got on this one. Hope you guys appreciated two pods, back-to-back days, two outstanding guests talking some SEC football as we inch closer to SEC Media Days. Don't forget that's going to be coming Monday through Thursday. That's going to be one hell of a time, and there's going to be so much information dropping. So looking forward to that. But, uh, hey, that's going to do it for this one. Appreciate everybody hanging out. And, of course, if, as always, if you've made it this far, you give us that five-star written review that really helps the show out. For each and every one of those, we send you a beer koozie free of charge. But that's going to do it for this episode. Catch you on the next one.